A very warm welcome to F1 Nation with me, Tom Clarkson, which comes to you this week from the heat and the hustle of the Mexico City Grand Prix paddock. Now, without Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham this week, I'm joined by technical illustrator Giorgio Piola and former racing driver and Channel 10 presenter Sam Power. Both have been on the show before. Both were quite brilliant. And as well as debriefing on the race, we caught up with a bunch of people in no particular order. James Valls, Antonio Perez, Checo's father, Joe Ramirez, Adrian Fernandez, Jack Doohan, Pato Award and Andrea Seidel. And the headline from this race is Max Verstappen record breaker. 14 wins in a season, quite extraordinary. Out of the final corner, Max Verstappen takes victory in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. <laughs> 2022 now started. Max Verstappen wins the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Max Verstappen comes out of the final turn in Miami to take victory. Verstappen wins the Spanish Grand Prix. Victory in Baku, his first win in Azerbaijan. He wins in Canada. Brilliant, brilliant drive. Max Verstappen wins the French Grand Prix wins in Hungary in dominant style. Taking the line, winning the Belgian Grand Prix. World champion wins on home soil again. Max Verstappen wins the Dutch Grand Prix. Max takes his first win at Monza. Max Verstappen has taken the chequered flag to win the Japanese Grand Prix. Verstappen wins the US Grand Prix in Austin. It is victory here in Mexico City for Max Verstappen. Amazing, guys. What a fantastic race again. <laughs> 14 wins. Unbelievable. What a season. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Now, that wasn't a white-knuckle overtaking fest. It was more of a strategic masterclass, I felt. And, uh, Giorgio, just sum up the job that Max Verstappen and Red Bull did today. First of all, we have to say that the, the race was nearly decided on the gamble that Verstappen and Red Bull did to start with the red tyre. That was the right choice, but was a risky choice because never, nobody knew how long they could last the medium. And they made a miracle because they made 45 laps with the medium. And of course, starting with the red, he could make a wonderful start, be on the leader and doing the pace. So keeping the tire, the red, lasting even, even more because he, he never fight at the end. Only the first corner that he made a brilliant braking maneuver and then that's it. So all the, all the race is in this, the strategy. They made a risk and the gamble at the end was right. And, and he said in the press conference that he never even considered putting the hard tire on. After he ran it in practice, he said, no, that's not the one for me. Sam, sum it up. The other thing to consider is that the track evolution here. You know, we've seen it in qualifying that the track was evolving and evolving towards the end. And the more grip you have, the less deg you tend to have because you're not sliding around on the tire so much. So I do wonder whether or not they took their learnings from Austin as well, because we kind of had the same thing. You know, Red Bull opting for the medium compound on the last in, Mercedes going for the hard. We'd had the same thing here. I think another aspect is to consider, well, if Mercedes tried to go pound for pound for Ruth Red Bull, would they have been able to beat them? I think that might have been a bit of a stretch. They still do have a car advantage. So going on an alternate strategy, putting some pressure on Red Bull, doing two at what looked to be at the start of the race, two very good pit stops or needing to do that, whereas Merck only having to do one. I think it was, a, it was a, also a good choice from, from Merck. So I think, as Giorgio said, you know, you just got to take your hats off to Red Bull. They made it work and it was, it was an unbelievable performance. 
And I think we should compliment Max Verstappen as well. That was his fourth win in Mexico in seven races. It's quite an extraordinary record. No, I have to say this year Max uh, is becoming much better than last year because he has the same uh, speed, but the brain uh, for me is different. This year is much more wiser. He's uh, thinking about strategy, he's giving instruction to the team. He's becoming really world champion trusting him himself. While last year, sometimes he seems to be still the attitude of risking. Now this year, he doesn't risk, but he's terribly fast anyway. And that's a fantastic combination. I feel he the highs he doesn't get too excited about, the lows he doesn't get too down about. He's just a very level character now. I, th I think you're spot on, and it's so scary for all of his competitors. You know, like the, the man is in the zone at the moment, and he just keeps delivering results. And you know, it shows 14 Grand Prix victories within a season. I know it's different from previous seasons where we did a lot less Grand Prix, but it's just a it's a Herculean effort. And uh, but the other thing I, I do like is seeing Lewis coming off the back of the August break. I think it's starting to get back to the Lewis of old. You know, he's done an unbelievable performance against George in terms of qualifying battle. I think this is the only race he's actually been out-qualified by George since the August break. And I'm, I'm hoping there's a bit of a titanic clash next year and we get to see Max versus Lewis and maybe a few other faces as well. It's all pointing in that direction, isn't it? Now, Giorgio, you are a technical god in my eyes. <laughs> and can you explain to us, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell have said the car was better here in Mexico than it has been anywhere else this year. Why? Why is that? They made an incredible job because already in Austin we saw, we saw a new floor and that wing that at the end of the day was not considered legal. Here they came with only three of those wings modified, so now legally, but you have to see that those wings were not different only in those uh, five fairings considered illegal, but in all the sector of the wing there was some small difference. So I think uh, Mercedes made a huge amount of work uh, and in these days I saw very often that was working a lot also on suspension, much more than everybody. So the car was mechanically very strong uh, and then they improved a lot uh, from the aerodynamic. And then they are also very gentle with the tire. So at the end uh, I doubt if they were they were more uh, less conservative and they start with red, uh, maybe we could see something interesting even On more. On this topic, lads, come this way because I can see the chief strategist from Mercedes. Let's ask him that very question. James Fowles, just having a bit of downtime after the race. Giorgio has just been telling us, why didn't Mercedes start on the red tyre? Maybe you could give us a little bit of insight into that. Well, we started on the yellow tyre, so we didn't start on the soft, we started on the medium. And the theory was this, we knew today we didn't quite have the faster car beneath us, but we believed that being on a nailed on one stop was probably our best way of winning today. And in the race, I don't think it's probably worth speaking to other teams, but we certainly had a belief that a soft medium may just in the best of circumstances be possible, but it'd be right on the limit in terms of where you're taking the tyres. Um, mainly from a degradation perspective, not from a wear perspective, whereas a medium hard could be a nailed on one stop. And if they drop off the curve at the end, if the degradation's too high, can provide us an opportunity that wasn't open to them. It also means that at the beginning of the race, the soft tyre, you saw it after 16 laps, started to drop away. I honestly thought it might be more than that. And if it was more than that and they come back towards us and the medium suffers like it did with George after 34 laps, actually we'd be sitting here pretty. But 
The other thought we had is starting the medium doesn't stop you two stopping, doesn't stop you fitting the soft later like Daniel did. Um, so it doesn't close your options off. So now the question comes, do you lose out at the start of the race? And you will do, a couple of meters, I would say. But our thought process was, with the toe, we'll probably go out to make up for it, probably wouldn't lose uh, anything as a result, and it gives us opportunities later. Quick question, did you make that choice about going to the one stop based on, in Austin, when you put Red Bull under pressure and you saw that their pit stop suffered slightly, did it, do you factor those kind of things into those decision-making processes at all? Um, no, no, so certainly it wasn't based on, on what happened there. Red Bull are probably, within the pit lane, the, the best on pit stops. And, and it's rare for them to make a mistake like they did in Austin. And you wouldn't really factor it in. What I can tell you is if we can pressure them, we'll try to. Because humans don't like that. You, you do suffer. But I wouldn't go in there with expectation of that. No, it, it was just more formally based on the fact that I just didn't quite think we had the pace that they had today. So you've got to do something different. Start on the soft, probably finish exactly where you end up. Start on the medium, it may provide, may provide other opportunities. It didn't. We did the wrong thing today. We should have started on the soft, but I'm not too upset with the way we ended up. It was a hell of a roll of the dice. It was, it was great to watch. Great to watch. James, do you think if you had started on the tyre, with all the facts that you have in front of you now, do you think you could have won this race? Uh, the only way would be ahead of him at turn one. That's the only way of doing it. You had a car that had just a little bit more pace. Not a lot, just a little bit more pace than us. And it, it's super hard at a track like this, where when you go to the next tyre, the medium tyre, there isn't a big undercut. That's the problem. So at other tracks, like Austin, you can get a two, two and a half second undercut. Here, it's a matter of tenths, probably four tenths uh, by going to the soft to the medium. And the gap between the cars, as you saw, is about 1.1 seconds because in this air, with the brake cooling, with the amount of lift and coast that we're doing, you just simply can't be up the gearbox of another car. Lewis was definitely stoked about splitting the Red Bulls. James, thanks so much for your time. Speaking to James there, I'm not convinced any other strategy would have actually changed the end result. Maybe, maybe because, but as he said before, you have to consider that uh, with the race, uh, the, the track is becoming much better on the tyre wear. I, I do believe Mercedes, sometimes in comparison with Red Bull, are too conservative. Red Bull, if you want, has a, a, a different attitude. They like much more to take the risk, to take the gamble. And this time for me is the reason why of the success, apart the fact that Max was brilliant, fantastic. Now I hope you can hear us okay because the paddock here is more full of people than I've ever seen before. We're making our way down the paddock and I can see Checo Perez's father who has become a bit of a star over this weekend, as is his son of course. Let's just go and have a word with him. Antonio. Everybody's exciting. I think so now is the Mexican country the best. It's incredible the vision, the people. You look, this is exciting for the Perez family, the Perez driver and the Perez fans. How proud were you of your son today? Incredible. I think so. The most important is you feel with the people, no? The most exciting is Checo working very hard with the people of Mexico. The economy, you understand, in my country is very difficult. And paid a ticket is a very difficult. But now, the most important now in Mexico is Checo Perez. This is everywhere, every day, and it's the Perez moment. We were having this discussion at dinner the other night. Is there a more famous Mexican than Checo Perez? We couldn't think of one. Yes, absolutely. Ooh. No, 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 you look, no? It's the best moment. Checo is the best Mexican driver it's the first time with Mexico having a world champion of Formula One in constructors. No, Checo is champion 
of Formula One now. Maybe next year is probably champion of drivers. But the first time for Mexico, Mexico heaven, a champion Formula One constructor. And what about the race staying here until 2025? Yes, I think so. It's the best place now, Mexico, for many, many years. And I think so. Mexico have a good surprise. 25 to 30, Cancun. <laughs> okay, we're going to spend the rest of our lives here. Antonio, it's fantastic. Many congratulations on your son's race. And, and the, the, six family, the family is exciting. Everybody's happy. The Mexican fans, the Mexican people. Incredible. It's the Mexican day. And Invite you to the party in the night. <laughs> it's been such a wonderful race thank Antonio so many congratulations Thanks thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you thank you we've just been celebrating Checo Perez and two very famous Mexicans right in front of me now Adrian Fernandez and Joe Joe Ramirez Joe can I start with you we've just been discussing with Antonio Perez the success of this race and staying here until 2025 can you feel as a Mexican just the momentum that we've got here now Absolutely, absolutely. It's a shame that uh, Checo couldn't win today because maybe he won't have another opportunity. You know how this business is. But what Mexico have done, uh, I have to tell you, I'm very, very proud to be in Mexico and see what they see, do here. Five times the best Grand Prix in the world. And I don't think they do that trophy anymore. Otherwise, they would, we would win it again, for sure. We definitely need tacos being served in the paddock at every race, I must say. Uh, Adrian, just with your racing driver yes. hat on, how are you seeing Checo developing as a driver? Well, I mean, you particularly, you know, his dad worked with me for many years in IndyCar, and uh, Checo has always been with us since he was a little kid. And I remember when I was racing in Europe, I mean, in IndyCar, he used to send me his videos to see how he was doing in the rain and everything. But the strength of Checo, I will say, his character. You know, he has a strong character because the, the pressure that you have in this, this level of racing is how you hold the pressure. And he has a very strong personality, and I think that helps him a lot. Uh, obviously, he's a very experienced now, and uh, he's always been a very good driver, and obviously he's developing a very, very solid so we, we as a Mexicans are very proud because, like you said with Joe, you know, we have a very strong Grand Prix. But it, it, it didn't come from the night to the morning. You know? This is started with Pedro Rodriguez, with Ricardo, with Moisés Solana. And a lot of people have been involved to make, make all this happen. Guys, thank you for your thoughts. Ciao, guys. Of course, this is the 60th anniversary of the Mexican Grand Prix. George, have you been to all of them? I've been uh, to all of them, yes. I was already when uh, Berger won... Uh, on uh, Benetton with Pirelli and I can tell you a funny story that time was very unpredictable the strategy for the tire uh, I interviewed on the starting grid uh, the engineer from Pirelli and I asked uh, how many pit stop uh, do you predict uh, he gave me the most unusual answer that I ever had in my life because he said to me several <laughs> and then <laughs> Berger won without making stop but it was unbelievable that race Now, if we go down the order, I feel that we've certainly discussed Mercedes and Red Bull. Now, Ferrari. Wow. Ferrari, you know, everybody was saying that they made more uh, downforce uh, to, the, to the car, but I don't believe that more downforce than the others. What I unfortunately believe, they went down with the engine because they were afraid. If you remember in Austria, 
that uh, turbo problem. And Ferrari is using a smaller turbo problem, a, sm a small turbo. So they needed to rev higher. And with the altitude, I do believe that they were scared to have a failure. So they prefer to be conservative. At the end of the day, they took 18 points. That for them is good. But here Ferrari was out of the, the pace, no doubt. But George, if you look at the car on track, I don't think it was just power. I mean, Charles Leclerc had, seems to have problems a lot through the fast S's. He even put it in the barrier there on Friday afternoon. We saw several occasions in the race where the car just didn't want to ride the curbs. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was going to say it's almost like they're running too aggressive on the ride height because the car was just bottoming out and then the suspension at that stage, it's just going to spit you off the curb. So uh, it was painful to watch because you're absolutely right. You know, in free practice, he had that issue, just had a lot of oversteer into the corner, spun it, and then throughout the rest of the weekend, he every time he went near that curb, it just bit him back. I believe it was the worst race of the season for Ferrari. Qualifying for sure, because it was the worst qualifying position of the season. Now we have to open um, Brazil and, and Abu Dhabi, but I believe Mercedes has done such a huge step all of a sudden because we didn't, we didn't expect so much. Fifth and seventh on the grid, the Ferrari guys yeah. were. One week ago, you know, they were so competitive in Cota over one lap. Is it the track characteristics or is it all down to the power that you're talking about? Because I, I was surprised at the step backwards they took. They are the bulk combination. They went down with the power and then they have problem with set up the car. Because uh, as you said, uh, there was really, the car was really very, very difficult to manage. I think the other thing is when you have a loss of power, you, you're carrying that all the way down that enormous straight. And, and that's a long, long, long way down to turn one from even just the grid, let alone the last corner. So it's really going to hurt here. If they, if they had to do that and they were compromised, you know, it's, it's actually probably in many ways a good effort for them to finish where they did. So Ferrari take a step back. If we look at Daniel Ricciardo now, finishes P7, massive step forward. How now, fellow Aussie Sam? <laughs> why did it suddenly come alive for Daniel? Do you think? Um, I, I mean, look. Sometimes when when you get past everything that's building, you know, he, he's obviously spoken quite openly about how he's been struggling with it, and he knows what the looming decision is. And now that decision's been made, it frees a little bit of weight off the shoulders, and you can go back to doing what you know best. And I think even just in that race, and sure, there was a few mistakes, and there was a penalty thrown here and there, but. I did get a glimpse of the Daniel Ricciardo of old. Like I always go back to Monza when he was just electric. It would have been uh, before the 2017 regs came in. So with the narrow rear wings, he was so good under brakes. He would pass people from miles back. And just to see that kind of confidence sort of rear its head again for me was, I mean, I'm patriotic, of course, I'm an Aussie, but I, I loved seeing that fight back in Daniel. And maybe that little bit of anger just helped him a little bit. You know, I think, He's doing everything he can right now to have a very, very good end to the season. And I like it when he rolls the dice. I think it's really encouraging. Wasn't so great for him last week in Cota, Giorgio. Where do you see the step forward for Daniel? I think also the car improved a lot because here the list that they gave of the modification was quite important. And not only to improve the cooling because everybody made a huge opening to the cars, so losing a little bit of efficiency, the brake system. But the car seems to be better and what he said, he also gained much more confidence in braking. Before was his big problem. He never felt to be hard on the braking. Now he's really very confident. 
So maybe also psychological. You know, the driver, a very strange human being, even much more complex. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> much more complex. Yeah. So now the fact that his, his brain is, is more relaxed, maybe he could give up. George, that's interesting. So you say he makes his lap time under braking. Is yeah. more than other drivers. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, his big problem. Uh, we have to, to understand before you was using different material on brakes uh, because before they had a completely different material. So he lost. Uh, and then I remember once an engineer said to me, Giorgio, you have to think uh, that you don't do the lap time only on the speed, but on the brake. If you reduce the braking, you gain massively, even more than the speed. So that was a, a big negative point for Ricciardo, and now he's good. Guys, what did you make of the incident with Tsunoda? 10-second penalty, a bit harsh? At the end of the day, you've taken a car out of the Grand Prix, so you're always going to get a harsh penalty when that's the case. You're able to continue on, they're not. So uh, he did come from a long way back. It's not typically... I mean, you could see it unfolding in the replay. In, into four, he was setting it up, cut back, tried to get the traction, had a little bit of oversteer, couldn't quite get up beside Yuki but Yuki also equally didn't defend so sure racing into an incident to a degree but at the end of the day it was a long way back it's a slow corner there isn't much room for braking there he'll probably put his hand up for that one I suspect we're going to walk very very quickly with Andreas Seidel who's got his bag um, look can we just quickly talk about Daniel Ricciardo and the performance he put in today uh, yeah very happy uh, to see what uh, Daniel could pull off the entire weekend, not just about uh, the last thing today, he felt a lot more comfortable from the first run onwards here on this track compared to one week ago in Austin, so very happy and uh, yeah, just great to see his final thing today, which uh, was the Daniel that we all know from the past as well, so great result and important points obviously for the team. And just what has changed from last weekend to this? Because he was so down after the race at Cota and yet this has been fantastic. Yeah, well, uh, I think he's experienced helps him as well that even after a bad weekend like in Austin he just switches the focus straight away again to the next weekend and tries to strike back and that's what he did from the first one onwards here uh, together with the team uh, that uh, never let's say gives up as well after difficult races so very happy. Great to see Andreas safe flight thank you very much. Uh, now Pato Awards uh, IndyCar star we have just been waxing lyrical about Daniel Ricciardo today and the step forward he seems to have made with the car here how do you explain it I think he, he did a phenomenal job I think the team did a phenomenal job with the strategy and it was a bit of an unknown actually I was talking to Andrea and you know the cars were split obviously one of them went a little bit more conservative being uh, Lando's car and then uh, Daniel's side took a little bit more of an aggressive approach and it seemed to have worked out. I think the softs ran a lot longer than what we were expecting. And, uh, and I think Daniel did a phenomenal job. I mean, he was passing a bunch of people and he was, uh, he was keeping the excitement in the race. After such a difficult race last weekend at Cota, to make such a big step forward here, how do you explain it? Is it all under braking? Man, it's hard to say. I mean, they're, they're two very different tracks. Uh, I think Daniel... In, in the past has been very strong here um, and it's just different right the altitude the, the the downforce of the cars are moving around quite a bit more and uh, and I just I think he was in his groove in the race he likes it loose he does like it loose <laughs> don't we all <laughs> hey Pato just before you go you're going to be doing FP1 with the team in Abu Dhabi how much are you looking forward to that and when are we going to see you racing in Formula 1 because when you look at 
the momentum that is building behind this race. I reckon we need a second Mexican driver. I'm so excited, man. I uh, It's going to be my first official debut in Formula One, or at least a, a first official kind of session that I do. And I think it's the first or one of the first few steps to, to a race seat, right? So we're definitely going in the right direction and, uh, and just really looking forward to it. I want to enjoy it. I want to help the team and um, bring on Abu Dhabi, baby. <laughs> How many super license points have you got, just out of interest? It will be 37 with Abu Dhabi, so I would still need three after Abu Dhabi. 2024, some strings maybe. It's <laughs> like credits at high school, doesn't it? It's just yeah. like, I need this to pass. I need this to pass. I've got to take the course. Yeah. Brilliant. Pato, thanks so much. Enjoy Abu Dhabi and uh, great race by the team today. No, no worries, man. I appreciate it. Guys, I like the cut of Pato Awards jib. I think he's funny. I think he's got this great character. And he's won a handful of IndyCar races, finished second in the Indy 500 this year. You reckon he's got it? Absolutely, no doubt. I mean, look at the IndyCar field. It's um, it's quite impressive. So, uh, you know, and they're also proving that it's transferable skills to Formula One as well. And super, as soon as that floodgate opens, I tell you what, there could be a there could be a fair few people on the driver market that teams can consider. So, I, I honestly, I'm a big believer. I can't wait to see what he does in Abu Dhabi. And you know, kudos to McLaren for for looking at options like that as well. It raises an interesting point, Giorgio, in that. You know, the only seat still available in Formula One next year is the second Haas, okay? And if you're Gunter Steiner, who do you put in that car? And you sit there, okay, we've got Mick Schumacher, obviously, but then they're talking to Nico Hulkenberg, but who else is actually on the list? I really don't know, because also Haas, Gene Haas wants to have an experienced driver. He doesn't like so much to have a very young driver. Well, I think it is a wonderful to have some young, especially coming from Indy, oh, and I don't understand why at this point Ricciardo can be again on the market. I don't know why. I think he's turned Haas down, but my, my point is, I don't think there's an awful lot of drivers waiting in the wings to take up the spare seats in Formula One. I mean, Mick Schumacher is currently a Formula So actually, we're only talking about one driver, Nico Hulkenberg. That is the only guy they're looking at because Daniel Ricciardo's turned them down. Yeah, I think... And maybe, you know, with the driver market, the way it sort of is obviously incredibly turbulent this year, that maybe they thought that by biding their time, they'd have their cream of the crop because there were so many drivers and there were so many moving parts. But, I mean, look, Mick is also just capable of doing great results. I mean, particularly when he's been under pressure, I've noticed as well. He's, he's, done, he's done a good job. He's, he's, you know, I think, I think he's got the ability to make his case for that seat. And, yeah, we'll have to see. So we've made our way down to Alpine, where everyone seems to be packing up. And there is a Formula 2 race winner standing in front of us now, but also a man who had a lot of fun in FP1 here. Jack Doohan, how was it? It was unbelievable. You know, to, to drive you know, the current Formula 1 car and on the current, with, you know, on the current grid here in 2022 was unbelievable. I was you know, driving with Fernando and Lewis, having to get out of the way of these guys, and also them getting out of the way of me. So it was something in the moment, it was like natural. But before the session, I kind of took a moment to step back and think of you know what's actually happening, and then as well after the session. So it was a really cool experience. How do you find the car at this altitude? Because it's all, all of them have been complaining about a lack of grip. 
Yeah, for sure. I, my previous experience, obviously, of a Formula One car was the A521, which we know is about 1.8 seconds quicker on you know perfect conditions to perfect conditions, and it you know feels a lot more stuck to the ground. It, it felt really, really nice. So then coming here, also this car being 200 kg heavier, and uh, we're obviously at altitude, slippery conditions. So it was like so raw. You know, everything was moving around a lot more. That sensation of a Formula One car being you know essentially stuck to the ground was was definitely not the case. You know, you push that a little bit too much, and it was a, a big snap of opposite locks, and not really the, the micro snaps is what I was used to. So I knew that I definitely needed to obviously take it easy. That's fine, mate, because it just looks good for the photographs for your exactly. debut that you get to put in the photo album. Uh, quick question. Obviously, uh, the smile on your face right now. I mean, you're, you're loving life, obviously, <laughs> having driven that car. Your dad's here. Did he give you any words of advice before going out on such an enormous stage? No. I think the main thing that he was trying to, you know, keep, you could say, drill into me was to enjoy it. You know, really enjoy this time, this process, because, of, you know, it's obviously a big thing. And, you know, being a young driver, getting the opportunity of FP1 and there is obviously a lot of eyes on you and you know blah blah blah. I could keep on talking but he was just you know making sure that I was enjoying this process not putting too much pressure not trying to you know over exaggerate anything and actually just you know this is what I love doing it's something that I dreamed of since I was a little boy so to be able to actually hop into the car and go out and you know have fun in a Formula One car around Mexico City uh, was something that I you know really tried to do so for me the nerves wasn't actually so bad when I hopped in the car my heart was racing for sure <laughs> because it was just like you know, I have the time on my dash. It's like two minutes to go. I'm like, you know, in two minutes, I'm exiting the pit lane uh, to go into an FP1 session. This is quite crazy. Uh, but, you know, I was really looking forward to it, not scared or in, in that sort of way. What about Fernando? Did he give you any advice? Nothing sort of, you know, to come up to me in the engineering room and, and say what's going on. You know, me and Esteban had a little bit of a chat in, in Austin, you know, on Friday afternoon. And then we're like, you know, we'll chat obviously later. Um, we were, I was going through some stuff with the engineer, his engineer on Thursday afternoon. And, and he came over and kind of we discussed about curb usage and whatnot. And on Thursday morning, I just went into Fernando's driver room and was just like, what do you reckon on, on how many laps, you know, you're going to do at the start when the track's greasy for start going to fast, low, fast and inside curbs and so on with the cars, obviously being a lot lower now at the rear as we could see you know people especially through that turn eight when they're taking a little bit too much of that inside curve yeah, yeah. a few little moments so i was just trying to figure out how much was too much um i was gonna but, say did he just say none don't yeah, take any yeah, <laughs> yeah. no he was like oh no he he was the opposite he's like yeah, oh, he would have been to, the you opposite have to, you have to yeah. take it you know to be quick where esteban was like do not take anything <laughs> do not push into turn 30 the last time i gave my car up someone crashed <laughs> here in mexico turn 13 the tires over here to be super super careful so i was like not even using exit curbs i was you know not even braking exiting the last turn like five meters from the exit wall just being, being super cautious um but i was looking forward to it because we were going to although i was going to do a the full session on the hard um i was you know we had a, at least a, a testing program that i was going to be able to do to hopefully you know help the team with a test item on the second run and then a, and a long hard run which would have helped the team for today because no one say. really didn't have much sustainable laps on a hard tire so it was going to be very beneficial but unfortunately we had a pu issue at the end of the first run which halted our running um but at least that happened then and, and not potentially later because with fernando's race today obviously not being able to finish hurt us in the points um, so it's better to have that then and then potentially not have to, had two cars today so and it sounds like you had such a great time and you can do it all again in Abu Dhabi can't you yes exactly I get to, to drive a Formula 2 car in the morning then into an F1 for FP1 and back into an F2 car for qualifying and that's quite a juggling act actually how different are the cars it's they're obviously completely different I think you know, what I tried to do, I haven't done it on the same weekend, but I've driven the car in the same week before a race. And 
trying not to compare anything. You know, that's a Formula One car, this is a Formula Two car. I'm not trying to take everything. Oh, you know, I was combining a little bit in the F1 car here and, and that might work in the Formula Two car. It's like completely no. I just try and when I hop out of that and hop into the F2 car, it's straight back into, you know, the characteristics of this car. But actually when I when I hop back into the car and, and I'm having snaps and the things you're moving around, it, it feels so much easier in essence, because I'm going so, you know, you're obviously going a lot faster in the F1 but, and making, you know, diff adjustments, torque adjustments, you know, changing different fails. So everything's going a lot quicker and you're doing more. So hopping in back in the F2 car where you just have a brake balance, you know, toggled basically to, to move. You know, I'm kind of having snaps and it's going opposite lock and, and I'm just playing with the car a lot easier so I look forward to it and hopefully it can be a benefit in Abu Dhabi. Is the engineering and, and the mechanics the hardest part to adapt to? Because you've obviously got oodles of talent when it comes to driving but some of the biggest challenges is just I guess learning about the engineering and the dynamics of the car and what you can do and what you can adjust. Yeah for sure. I, you know the biggest thing is like where the limit of, of the Formula 1 car is and, and how far to push because you know, we see when, when people do have a moment in F1 it's, it's not a little one. We saw obviously <laughs> Max get away with his spin but Charles didn't and you know most of the time when you do have a snap at high speed it goes and, and it goes pretty hard so building you know trying to find that sort of area of trust within the car and especially you know right now when i'm you know doing test days for alpine or jumping in for an fp1 you know, crashing a car that's not your car is definitely not the way to go <laughs> you know so uh, it's trying to find that fine line um and just you know understanding how a weekend works with these guys because it's so much more full-on than, than what we're doing in formula 2 so much more technical. fernando very quick what sort of a job did this guy do on friday it was okay, but he was in the wrong car, so in Abu Dhabi he will have the faster one. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to seeing you in Abu Dhabi, Jack. Brilliant. Georgia, while it was a, a good day for McLaren in the Constructors' Championship, with, of course, Alpine only getting the one car in the points with Ocon, I've still been very impressed with the consistency Alpine have shown with their car. Every time they bring a new bit, it seems to work. Yeah. Consistently. Yes, they, they, I think they have a very good correlation between the twin tunnel, the CFD, and what they put on the car. And they modify the car from the middle of the season, and every time they put a step. Why, for example, in McLaren, didn't happen all the time. Only now, in the, the last races, McLaren improved, but when they introduced the new kind of side pods, they were struggling a little bit. So the correlation maybe was not so good, so efficient like in Alpine. How do you view the battle for P4 in the Constructors' Championship. McLaren currently seven points behind them. Who's got the faster car? Do you think it's going to go go down to the wire? I don't know. It's an, an interesting uh, fight because uh, they are very close. Uh, the, what surprised me negative this year is Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri last year made a, a wonderful season and this year it seems that the car, even when they do modification, it does improve so much. Yeah, in the past, they've made great developments during the course of a year. So what do you put that down to? Is it a lack of correlation between the wind tunnel and the racetrack? Or is it the design team not getting their head around these new regulations? How do you explain it? No, I believe they had to change the uh, size of model in the wind tunnel and they suffer a lot. Uh, but I think next year can be an interesting team. And I believe the technical part of the team is quite good. And then you have to think always there is a good correlation with Red Bull. So they can have also information, they can, they can keep some pieces from Red Bull. I think another really cool thing, we sort of cast our minds a bit into the future. We're seeing 
a very tiny gap between the midfield. We're seeing competitors catch the front of the field. So the 2022 regs are doing what they design, they're designed to do. And I think that's enormously encouraging for next year when we always know at the turn of every new set of regulations, there's always the biggest disparity between the teams. And then they start to converge over the course of the regulations. So to have already such an incredibly intense midfield and also having teams catch the fastest team, I can't wait for next year. I think next year the fight will be much closer. It was, I, well, I remember that I predicted last year that this year the gap between the first and the other one will be even bigger because when there are new uh, solutions, the team have, bigger team have more resources, more capacity. And I, I was quite sure, I was at, what was disappointing at the beginning of the season, the disaster of the Mercedes because they did believe to be one second in front of everybody and it was a very bad surprise. But it was logical that with the new regulation, the gap between the three top and the other was even bigger. Next year we will see a lot of trend, let's say. Everybody will follow a little bit, I believe, the trend of Red Bull. You say it's going to close up next year. This prompts a question about the budget cap penalty that Red Bull have been given and that yes it's a seven million dollar fine but the element of the punishment that Adrian Newey is most interested in is of course the reduction in wind tunnel time they're going to have what 63 percent of the wind tunnel time that Williams are going to have in P10 how is that going to hurt them I don't think it will be terribly affected because I do believe that the work they did this year will be good also for next year and then remember if I can make a joke the sketches that the Adrian Newey does on this notebook, they don't cost any money. And I saw also in this day, he was always sketching beside the car, he never stopped. So I will put my money again on, on Red Bull to be at least at the top level of the competition. George, it was explained to me that that reduction in wind tunnel time is the equivalent to about 22 runs. Can be possible, yes, it would be. It will be hard, but remember, there was a big advantage. Unfortunately, this year, we, we saw the evolution of the, the exterior of the car. But remember that the bigger evolution was done in the floor. And we had very few time to see the car upside down when they had an accident. But if you see the floor of Red Bull, it's terribly much more complicated than everybody else. And uh, I think... Uh, that is uh, something very interesting and they keep going on also for next year. While we're talking aero, I think a lot of people listening to this will be wondering why there wasn't more overtaking during this Mexican Grand Prix. How do we explain that? I mean, it's a couple of things. You, you are obviously two kilometers above sea level here. There's, there's the lack of oxygen, the lack of drag that that causes. The, the other thing is that when you're driving this circuit, the one area that you know you're very vulnerable to is that back straight with the power of that DRS. So if you're being attacked, then you're saving all of your battery to deploy around that DRS detection point, which is what I think Lewis was probably doing very effectively against Sergio when he was making a charge. And Sergio did say that he was struggling a little bit from a tiny bit of dirty air, so a little bit of turbulent air there, uh, and unfortunately prevented him from making that, that mounting challenge. But you know, Dan did a good job. I think, I think really is just also, I mean, it is surprising because you had Red Bull that were obviously so quick in Austin in a straight line and they were capitalizing on that advantage. But so therefore I think you, you put it down to a bit of the circuit layout and also just the high, the high altitude. 
And we go to Brazil next, which is what, 800 meters yeah. above? I mean, that's still more than a thousand less than we are here. But do you think we're going to see a lack of overtaking there, George? Or do you think the circuit characteristics of Interlagos will, will lend itself to no, the I usual believe, chaos? I believe Interlagos, we will see a lot of overtaking. For me, it's one of the best races to see it. We, we nearly never saw a boring race in Interlagos. We certainly didn't last year. No, I mean, uh, that, that, was, that was intense. I, I, I completely agree with you. And, and that turn one and the run out of the last yeah. corner, all the way down to turn one, great opportunity for slipstreaming. The fans there, I mean, it's... I mean, my favourite seasons were 2008, 2007, and, and seeing that, particularly with Felipe in the fight in 2008, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, we've got our last sprint race of the year coming up next weekend, but... Back to this weekend, we've now made our way up to Alfa Romeo, where, of course, Valtteri Bottas qualifies P6, finishes the race in 10th, his first points since the Canadian Grand Prix back in June, would you believe it? Giorgio, how do you explain the upturn in form? They made a good modification on the car that was working already in Suzuka. They introduced new pieces, and here the car again, new rear wing, uh, they change, of course, for cooling, uh, they improve the car, the braking, they improve. And again, another interesting point, on the starting grid, even with the invasion of people, because now we have to say, Formula One is becoming very popular, but if you want to see the cars on the starting grid, it becomes very difficult. And I notice Adrian Newey again, looking at the Alfa Romeo very, very carefully. And this will give you that he knew that there was some good idea because he's always looking. What is wonderful about Adrian, and I'm talking very often about him, because even if he's the best engineer in Formula One at the moment, he always looks to the other cars because in, even in, in, in the other car can have a, an inspiration idea. And he was spending a lot of time today on the starting grade beside the Alfa Romeo. Bottas has always gone well here. He was on pole here last year. How do you explain it? Valtteri is a master at any Grand Prix circuit that has a very, very smooth surface. So uh, you can look back at his history, and particularly one that stood out was Sochi, actually. He just has a phenomenal ability to, to rotate the car and to, and to work with the car in these smoother track surfaces. He just seems to be able to capitalize on it more than anyone else. When it becomes a little bit rough and a little bit bouncy and a little bit away from that, that's when he seems to struggle a little bit more than maybe comparatively to these smoother surfaces. One final thought on Alfa Romeo is the announcement last week about Audi. Oh, yeah. Audi. Going to buy a stake in Sauber. It's going to be the official Audi team from 2026. Do you think Sauber has everything it needs to be a race-winning team, a championship-challenging team, or are Audi going to have to invest heavily at Hinville? I think the combination can guarantee to to have another top-level team because Sauber already has some good facility, and I do believe that with the push of Audi, the team will be one of the top for sure. But, now there's always a but, when it was the works BMW team from 2006 to 2009, it never quite achieved its potential. Is there a risk that that could happen again? I do believe uh, that there was a really a strange combination with Sauber and BMW. I was working for the website uh, to do the technical stuff involution. They did a massive work uh, and I was surprised when they retired because at that moment there was on the point to be able to win. I guarantee 
the, the car was becoming very good, the engine too, and the combination was successful. Then there was other reason, more important than Formula One, that made the stop. But at the end, it was reaching the level to be a top team. Robert Kubica in, in 2008 was becoming a weapon, and some people were very, very worried. I mean, that win in Canada that he had, um, obviously after what happened the previous year, was, uh, was absolutely huge. So it was him and Quick Nick, wasn't it? Nick Heidfeld. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, they, I, I, I mean, look, if they can even just emulate that trend, get back to that, and then apply some of the magic. And again, because of the 2022 regs, everything's a lot closer. You can't just outspend someone by 150 million anymore. You just, it's not possible. So I think, I think it's going to be really interesting. But they also can't underestimate the challenge of Formula One and how good each one of these 10 teams are. That, that they cannot do. They must absolutely respect that. So the top 10 looks like this. Max Verstappen record breaker, his fourth win in Mexico as well takes the win. Lewis Hamilton is second, his fourth second place of 2022. And Sergio Perez, local hero, grabs his 10th podium in third place. George Russell was fourth, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, fifth and sixth for Ferrari, with Daniel Ricciardo putting that very aggressive race together to come home in P7. The only Alpine to make it home was Esteban Ocon in P8, with Lando Norris P9 in the second McLaren, and Valtteri Bottas getting his first point since Canada in 10th. Final thoughts then about everything that's happened this weekend. Are there any drivers, any teams that we haven't talked about, Giorgio, who have impressed you? Uh, Williams, uh, we didn't talk about. Uh, of course, they made a modification for the altitude, so they modified the brake stack, they improved the cooling, but there was nothing more physically on the car because everybody is thinking now to 2023. But, uh, but Albon drove a good, aggressive race. Yeah, I love it. I love that man. I mean, I was, he's, his heart's, well, he stopped breathing like five weeks ago. It's ridiculous. And he just comes up with these results. I mean, I'm, full testament to him. I mean, it's incredible. So I'm excited for them. I mean, look, they've got a great amount of capital invested with, with Doralton, obviously. They've got, they've got an American driver coming on next year, uh, which Albon's going to have to deal with as well. I don't think he's sort of quite had that to deal with before. So... I'm really excited, but as far as this race goes, yeah, I thought he did a sensational job. Right, Sam, while I've got you, who's your driver of the day? Oh, um, mm, good question. I, I Look, it's hard to go past Max because, you know, a lot of people were thinking that it was a two-stop strategy, as we're saying at the top of the show. And the, the real option they had to do to fend off Merck when the, it was clear that he was, he was being matched by Lewis, they had to extend that. If they had a chance to run, if they pitted, they would have been in deep trouble because he would have had to have passed four cars to even get back to Lewis. So, to master the tyres like that, I've I've got to say, bravo, Max. I really do. George, um, I have to say the same because really he managed the race in a wonderful way. They didn't know that could do only one stop, yep. so he was able to do a big step forward with the red tyre and then to save. Uh, the medium one in a wonderful way, doing 45 laps again. You must be very good in driving, not only very fast. Jonathan Wheatley, Red Bull's uh, sporting director, did say just before the start of the race, we've just had the longest strategy meeting of the year. <laughs> so, they, so they were running through it all, weren't they? And, and they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. Um, well, obviously, Max, you know, getting the record of 14, uh, his fourth win here in Mexico, 
but I'm not. I can't just say the same as you two. I'm, like, I'm actually going to go with the boy Daniel Ricardo because Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Well done. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I should have done. I'm sorry, Australia. I've stuffed up on international podcast territory. That's that's poor form on me. So I'm just stepping in for you. Don't you. don't worry, team. We're we're one team here at F1 Nation. And just I thought, you know, Daniel was so low after last weekend in Kota. He just he seemed completely confused, almost overwhelmed by just the lacklustre performance that he'd had at Kota and then he comes here and absolutely nails it and I felt you know if only we'd seen more of that earlier in the year I'm not sure he'd be stepping away from McLaren in 2023 but that's all ifs buts and maybes and I'm just going to take today in isolation and say wonderful aggressive drive slightly misjudged the Yuki thing but I'll forgive him that I'm happy because he's a very nice guy and he's a very great talent that he showed him. He was the one that was sometimes was faster than Verstappen. So he must be, have some quality for sure. And it was a pity and miserable to see him until today. And today we have again Ricciardo, Daniel Ricciardo. Brilliant. Well, guys, thank you both very much for your contributions to the show. It's wonderful to have you both back. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us from Mexico City. And, of course, F1 Nation will be back next Monday, where we're going to be previewing the Brazilian Grand Prix. As I said earlier, the last sprint of the year. How is that one going to play out? Can Mercedes continue the momentum that they build up here in Mexico? Please take a listen to that to find out more. But for now, F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.